are listening to the Savvy Black Birther Podcast, the show that brings you all things Black birth, where listeners are educated, uplifted, and empowered into action. With your host, Takiya Sakina Ballard, licensed midwife. Hey, Savvy family, and welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Black Birther podcast. My name is Takia Sakina Ballard, and I am your host. I am excited about this topic. We are going to talk about some proven hacks to help you navigate the healthcare system as a person who's embarking on parenthood. We're going to hear from community experts, a nurse clinician, a midwife, a pediatrician, and me, your lactation consultant. Stay tuned. Dr. Regine Brioche is a board-certified pediatrician and mother based out of Brooklyn, New York. A Crown Heights native, she graduated from New York University School of Medicine and completed her pediatric residency at Maimonides Infant and Children's Hospital. Dr. Brioche is a physician affiliate at the New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell and head pediatrician of Tribeca Pediatrics in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. She also serves as a member of the medical affairs team for a new formula brand called Bobby. Catrice Carpenter is a registered nurse certified in obstetrics as well as a doula. She has cared for women and families for the last 16 years, including birth work in and out of the hospital. She is a self-proclaimed birth junkie, loving every part of birth. Her business, The Mother's Advocate, serves to support, educate, and empower mothers throughout their journey. When she isn't helping other families, she is a busy wife and mother to three beautiful children. Lodge Joseph Lemon, is a native New Yorker whose family is from Haiti. Lodes brings over 10 years of international development and public health programming experience into her clinical practice. Currently, Lodes practices in Albany, Georgia. She completed her nursing and midwifery degree from Columbia University and is passionate about providing quality care to vulnerable populations and building community. She remains very interested in bridging her midwifery practice in LGBTQIA issues, true diversity and inclusion in midwifery, rural healthcare, STI and vaginitis, and new provider burnout. Currently, Lodes is a board member of the Foundation for the Advancement of Haitian Midwives. She is also an active member of the Midwives of Color Committee and the Transgender Working Group. When she is not locking charts or deep diving into research interests, she enjoys time in the sauna, working out, writing, finding a thrift shop, hiking in Georgia, and enjoying time at the beach with her partner and dog. Now that you've got a sense of who the experts are and you've understood their backgrounds and the wealth of knowledge that they each have, You're going to hear from Dr. Regine Brioche and and Nurse Catrice Carpenter first, and then later on in the episode, you're going to hear from midwife Lodes Joseph Lemon. So sit back, have a cup of tea, and enjoy. Hi, 
Hi, Takiyah. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the conversation. I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day to talk with us and the listeners of the Savvy Black Birther podcast. So, yay. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, the, the topic of today's conversation is really just looking at hacks, things that we could tell listeners that will help them navigate the system better as they're dealing with, you know, healthcare from a maternal child perspective. Whatever it is, if they're in that process of childbearing and they're looking to, you know, have a baby and then take care of that baby, they need to be really savvy on how to navigate and access the healthcare system. So if you guys can give me your best information, what are you guys going to tell people about what they can do to ready themselves and be better consumers out there? Okay, so we have Dr. Regine Brioche. She is a board-certified pediatrician working in the New York City area. And we also have Catrice Carpenter. She is a registered nurse working in the South Carolina area. And so they are going to give us the information that you guys are all wanting, which is how do you hack? Yeah, um, I, I guess I can start. So I, um, in the places that I have worked, I do tend to get a lot of calls from women who are unhappy where they are, or maybe they're just starting to look around and they find out about a particular place um, or office and they just want advice. You know, hey, how can I get the things that I'm looking for? Um, my first step to anybody is education, just making sure that you look around, that you ask good questions, that you learn about what's normal and what's not normal. Um, because a lot of a lot of women, they have no clue. They have no clue what's offered to them. They have no idea what's in the community. They have no idea where their supports are. Um, and so whatever research they can do on the front end really helps them to make good decisions. So that way they're not necessarily bouncing around from place to place. Um, so that that be the first thing is just really being your own advocate and making sure that you're getting really good education and asking really good questions. Absolutely. I like to piggyback on that. So, you know, as a pediatrician, a lot of times I'll get parents who have seen other physicians prior to transferring to my office. And so, you know, moving forward, the best advice I can give to anyone who's expecting, especially families who are in their third trimester of pregnancy, ask for advice or ask for references. You know, you have family members, friends, midwives, obstetricians who have a wealth of knowledge, um, a wealth of resources and recommendations. You know, taking names from them, then doing your diligence by investigating, researching the individual, Luckily, we live in a day and age where we have access to the internet, we can find health profiles online, and then taking the next step, which is probably the most important initiative, is to actually reach out to the provider. I mean, this is someone who is going to be in charge of your child's care up till about age 18. So you want it to be someone that, A, you're confident in their abilities, but B, that you would feel comfortable or bringing your concerns to them. So I highly, highly, highly recommend um, doing something called a prenatal visit, which is where you're able to sit down, bring your concerns or questions to the provider and see what their responses are. See if their responses are things that align with your philosophies, with your thoughts in terms of how you want to care for your child. Um, 
because, you know, if they are proposing X and your Y, then you don't want to have to be stuck with someone who will keep pushing their objectives or their thoughts on you. And then you feel kind of forced into doing something that fundamentally you don't feel comfortable with. So taking the time out, the same way we investigate car seats and strollers and high chairs, you should also investigate your practitioner. You, feel, you should feel confident in that person and you should feel comfortable bringing your concerns to them. Absolutely. So are you telling me that you can actually be a pregnant person and get a prenatal visit with a pediatrician? I am saying that. And I feel like a lot of folks don't realize that. I've had quite a few families who, you know, they knew that they needed a pediatrician for their child, but then it was either they went to the pediatrician that was assigned to them by the insurance company, or if it was the pediatrician who saw their child in the hospital setting, um, or it could even be someone that's just close in proximity, and then they just feel like they're mm -hmm. stuck having to see that same person. That is not the case. Luckily, we live in a different time where you should know, you should feel confident and comfortable with the person that you are bringing your child to. So call the practice Absolutely. if they're offering prenatal visits. If they're not offering prenatal visits, then perhaps you should consider another practice or practitioner. I mean, it's something, it doesn't have to be in person. It could just be a simple conversation over the phone, um, you know, asking them about their policies, accessibility, um, you know, their approaches to how to handle care. Do they believe in holistic medicine? If you're someone who are into holistic remedies, like you should always have these questions addressed before you are in the situation where you have to bring your child to someone and then you just feel like you're just stuck bringing them to anybody. Right. I would assume how difficult it might feel or how um, frustrating and upsetting it might feel to have a sick child, bring them to a pediatrician and not have them listen or not have them feel, you know, to work congruently with you or to uh, take seriously what you're saying as a parent. Right. Um, and so that's right. why it's so important to, to do that extra work ahead of time so that when you get down to those situations, when you're discussing things like that are so controversial, like vaccinations, that's something that's mm -hmm. important to discuss. Mm -hmm. and and the schedules and how that works and all that, because you're looking at your beliefs that we are carrying ourselves in a way that we can say, hey, listen, this is what my concerns are. This is the level of care that I'm expecting, right? And I'm saying this in a way because I'm telling you this up front so that I don't get mm -hmm. to that level of anger or frustration because I'm not receiving the care that I feel like I deserve, right? So if we come into situations from that perspective, letting people know, because at the end of the day, we would do it if we were, you know, hiring someone for service, you know, we would do it if we were hiring somebody to uh, babysit our kids or hiring someone to uh, cater an event. Um, and we need to take that same care. But I think what has happened in society, and I say this a lot, is that we have been taught how to consume healthcare. We've been taught uh, subjectively, um, and, and, you know, looking at what's being disseminated in the media, what we've been told from, you know, past generations, the doctor knows best that slogan, mm -hmm. like all mm -hmm. of these different mm -hmm. things. We've been taught that healthcare professionals are higher than us, have a better, a different knowledge than us or more knowledge than us. They're smarter than us. They know what's happening to us. And we really just need to uh, reverse that and say that they, these individuals are human, just like us. Number one. Number mm -hmm. two, 
they do have expert knowledge. They, they've paid money for their, for their expert knowledge. So they need to be compensated for their services. Like we're not going to get into that thing about how they don't like, people don't like to be compensating uh, the folks for their work. But, um, but not only are they, you know, they have that level of respect. The other piece is that, you know, they are being hired, right, to, you know, complement what I'm already doing for myself, right, and, and to walk alongside me. And I think that's the, the piece that needs to shift because I think healthcare, mm -hmm. the healthcare system works like this because the consumer is just as culpable to the system as the people who run the system. That's my opinion. And I think that if we shift the mindset of consumers, then we would have an expectation that's put in place that healthcare providers, healthcare systems have to honor because otherwise healthcare uh, consumers are going to say, peace out, deuces, see you later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that, that system crumbles or doesn't work or it's, it's, you know, losing out on, on money. Right. So I think that we have more um, power than we, we actually um, think we have as consumers. So tell me now, I know you guys have heard all of the stuff that's going on about, um, the information about maternal, um, mortality. You've heard about infant mortality, especially because of what the work that you guys both do. Um, mm -hmm. but tell me what you think, uh, are ways that, um, an individual, whether they're a parent or whether they're a birthing person, what can they do to sort of protect themselves from, being a statistic. Right. So um, a lot of people, you know, ideally you come at it from a few different angles, right? So you're getting uh, references before you go somewhere. So that way you have some baseline level of what you are getting yourself into. And you're not just going, you know, like you were talking about with, with insurance. Yeah, your insurance company may cover this person, but they could be horrible. Um, and mm -hmm. they could have horrible bedside manner, or they could be mm -hmm. very, you know, ingrained in the way that they think and just not forward thinking at all. Um, and so knowing, you know, other people that have been to this person, can they validate, you know, what it is that you're looking for? Is this person going to give you that? Um, I think also coming in with some really good questions and being prepared for your visit um, can be very helpful because otherwise it becomes, you know, whatever their normal is to do in the visit and you may leave without mm -hmm feeling like you you got what you needed out of the visit um i talk with a lot of people about you know playing nice um in the in the playground and making sure that you know what's your strategy in this you know if you don't want certain things and your provider you know is is pushing the certain thing like you guys may have to find a way to make that work. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in informed consent and informed refusal, um, but it's also like the way that you come at something, you know, to be professional, but, you know, to be, you know, to say no politely is a, is a complete sentence, um, but making sure that you are aware of what that means, because just because you don't want something doesn't mean that that may be the best idea. It may be what you want, um, but that, you know, comes with consequences, you know, um, people who decline things, you know, sometimes it works out great for their benefit. Um, and sometimes it doesn't. 
Um, and so that's why, you know, that education piece um, for me is, is really big, whether it's a class um, or, you know, reading some articles or um, some research um, can really be useful in, you know, just knowing what normal even looks like. Absolutely. That's a good point. I would like to also add that as a consumer, also paying attention to the questions that the provider asks. Like, you know, when you go to an appointment, there are certain things that are standard. You have what I call, you know, the medical vitals when you're taking heart rate, blood pressure, height, weight, but then there's also the non-medical vitals. So making sure that the, you know, the provider is aware of your home environment, you know, if there's any food insecurities, if there's any transportation limitations. Um, and, and not only are they aware of these things, but they're supposed to be a source of um, information as well, right? So now that you've informed them of these things, is there anything that they could help you with? Like, could they direct you to a resource, to a social worker, to someone who can help you rectify some of these um, impediments, which all influence both your care as well as your child's care. Um, I also wanted to add that when you bring, for instance, in my situation, if a parent is bringing their child to me for complaint or concern, and if my response doesn't necessarily align with what they were thinking, I want to walk them through what my thought process was, because I want them to be educated as to why I didn't do things the way they envisioned it because of whatever the ultimate outcome would be, but they should understand the rationale behind the decisions that I make as well and not just have this, you know, like, well, the doctor said it's this, so then you just kind of, without any understanding and you just go home and you're still kind of confused or feeling like something is lacking. Anyone that you bring, either you bring yourself to or you bring your child to should be able to educate you. And if they're not educating you, then again, perhaps you need to find someone else who is willing to do so. Because how else are you going to be able to take care of yourself and to take care of your loved ones if the folks who are supposed to be informing you or educating you are not doing so? Absolutely. I think the other piece that I would add to that would be um, being mindful of being able to to identify what your problem is, state it, you know, uh, you don't have to feel uncomfortable to say what's going on. I think sometimes um, we don't disclose everything. Um, and that's mm -hmm. another thing that I think that uh, causes there to be a miscommunication between provider and, and patient. Um, is, trust issue. Yeah, the trust issue, mm -hmm. right. And yeah. so um, one of the other things too is I, you know, I remember as my, you know, I traveled through my midwifery career and I would see patients um, that I transitioned to the hospital from home and I wasn't necessarily the, the midwife in the room anymore um, in terms of providing the care, but I was now the support person. And so my ability to um, affect what was happening shifted um, and I re recall a situation where a patient was in the, in the room um, and everything was going well. There was no complications or anything like that. She needed pain medication and um, just needed to rest because she had been in labor for a long time. And when the midwife came into the room, the midwife was sweet as pie to her. Very nice, very respectful from what we perceive respect should look like, right? So... Um, sweet. She sat on the end of the bed. She talked to her, but her language was 
was um, indifferent and very um, surface. And what I mean by that, she was saying, okay, sweetheart, sweetie pie, we're going to do this, this, and this. And if you need, you know, so this is why we're doing this, this, and that. Um, and so we're going to give you an epidural right now. We're going to put the Foley catheter in. She's like literally lining up all of the things that she's going to do to the person. Um, but she said it nice. So when the midwife left the room, I asked the husband, I said, how did you feel about that encounter? And he was like, oh, it was okay. I guess she was, she was nice. And I asked the patient, how did you feel about that encounter? And she sort of mimicked the same result. It was, she was nice. And I said, well, think a little bit more. I said, well, how, you know, did you speak upon what you want and what you need and what you're expecting? And were you able to ask your questions? And, and she had to think about it for a minute. And she said, well, she was really nice, but she didn't ask me about what I wanted and what I needed. And I said, okay, and what did you do in response to that? She said, well, because she was nice, I kind of just was agreeing, you know? So, and, and what I observed was this patient laying in the bed and shaking her head as the, the midwife is, you know, talking to her. And she's, so the shaking of the head, the nonverbal, right? Communication is like, yeah, I agree with you. Or yeah, I hear what you're saying. But there was definitely a disconnect between what the patient really needed, right? versus what the provider was giving. So I think that there's a deeper thing that needs to be done as well, where people need to be you know, mindful of that submissiveness that we have um, mm -hmm. that's ingrained in us when we come into a room with a healthcare professional. I'm a little conflicted on that. And the reason why I say <laughs> that is, um, <laughs> for the most part, I wanna say yes, right? Because there are certain like unspoken commonalities that perhaps is understood between someone who looks like you. But then at the same time, I feel like that can also be used against you. Um, I, I have an example where someone that I know who was pregnant and had an OB who looked like her, so same ethnic background, but that OB kind of always just dismissed her concerns because culturally they came from the same place. Professional. And then we also need to think about um, our body language and how what that communicates when we're talking to people. Because if you're nodding your head, like I would assume that the other person on the other end would assume that that means yes and you understand, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But if you're completely confused and you're only uh, accepting what they're saying because they were nice to you, that's not that's not sufficient, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I feel like that happens to a lot of a lot of families. Mm -hmm. You know, they they sometimes they aren't even given the chance to ask questions. It's yes, we may come at this politely, but we're going to line up all the things we're going to do, and you're going to agree, and you're going to say okay, because this is what is best. And not that the patient wouldn't necessarily agree. You know, I've had women come to me um, wanting to refuse um a particular test from their previous provider and when i explained to them what it was and why actually i would want to do that too and this is why and they're like oh, okay that's no problem but it was only because i took the time to talk about pros and cons or just giving them the opportunity to ask questions that they were completely agreeable. And so they would come from this environment where they were perceived as negative or a refuser. And when they got with me or with my 
with my provider and we just had a conversation, it was it was blissful. It was totally fine. This person is intelligent enough to make a good decision. They just need somebody to, to care about them and to take the time to to sit down and go over things with them. Absolutely. So tell me about the idea of does representation matter? Do you believe that people will receive better care from people that look like us? And what ended up happening is she actually had preeclampsia and went into preterm labor and all her concerns just were never addressed. And, and then it was in hindsight, it was like, oh yeah, you did have that. And fortunately, both she and her child survived. But um, in that particular situation, I feel like having someone who looked like her did not benefit her. Then, you know, you have the converse where, you know, there was the research that was released that said like babies fare better when like, especially African-American babies mm-hmm. fare better when they're taken care of by individuals who are also African-American. So, you know, there is that side of the coin where, yeah. And I feel like in that particular instance, the, the, the concerns of the parents are being addressed the the needs of the infant is being addressed versus a care provider who was of another background would just kind of dismiss the uh, parent's concerns mm-hmm. or the con- anything pertaining to the child that may have led to a delay in diagnosis and treatment. In short, I feel like I'm 50-50 on that topic and perhaps it's just because of the experiences that I've witnessed and heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I tend to agree if I'm being honest, um, not that there aren't, um, great providers that may be outside of someone's race that can care for them and care well. I've, I've been cared for by people who are not black, who were amazing. Um, but I think there is something to be said to not necessarily have to, um, fight certain battles with your provider, um, because they, um, inherently hopefully already understand um, some of the issues that you go through. Um, I find often that um, it's easier to relate. Um, I feel often when I walk into a room where a woman of color is present that their anxiety level immediately comes down because they see someone that looks like them and they feel like, okay, well, if at, at least hopefully racism is not going to be an issue for my care. And so then they can like actually get to the care because they're not worried about all those other factors that are at play. Um, I feel like, um, if I'm being honest, a lot of our solutions are already in our own community. Um, now, some people need to rise to the um, occasion. They need to rise up and, you know, be where they belong. They need to maybe get, you know, good education and be able to serve um, the population well. Um, but I do feel like, you know, looking at other um, cultures who are quite self-sufficient when they pull their resources together, I feel like there there's something to be said um, by being cared for by someone who looks like you, you know, something as simple as women who want to be cared for by women. There are certain things that you don't have to explain because a woman already knows, you know, what that issue is, you know, a person with, you know, I don't know, I'm assuming I can say vagina, but a person who <laughs> has a vagina can relate to another person who has a vagina. So, you know, if you're talking about vaginal issues, that's not something that you have to like, you know, you don't have to learn that in a textbook. You you know what that looks like. And so I think that that, that relays a lot with um, 
black, you know, indigenous or uh, persons of color, because um, there are certain things, unfortunately, that we all know about, um, especially the negative um, side to how we have been treated. And so being able to not have to hope um, that this person is not you know, kind of against you or something ingrained in them um, is, is refreshing for a lot of women. Um, and so they can, you know, let, let their guard down a little bit and really get to some of those harder issues. You know, not to say that someone um, isn't going to talk about certain issues. You know, if there are some things that we need to talk about that aren't pleasant conversations, we're still going to talk about it. Um, but I feel like if I can get past some of those barriers that we have up as protective mechanisms, um, then we can get to, you know, some of those bigger issues and get to a better space together. Yeah, I, I can see both of your points, honestly. Um, I, I can also agree with the part of the 50% where Dr. Rioche is talking about that she's not so sure. Um, but I can also see the relatability that exists and the, the guard being dropped and the walls being dropped down when a person is in the presence of someone that looks like them. Uh, it's likely that they're able to, to really complex idea that uh, medical providers are in charge. We, that is ingrained yeah. in us from the time we enter all of our respective, you know, healthcare educational systems, right? When you're in med school, when you're in RN school, when you're in midwifery school, you are taught to prescribe care plans to people. You're taught to, you know, prescribe medications and tell them what they need to do and all these different things. And the philosophy that we have is that we are in a hierarchy. That's how we're mm -hmm. taught. We are, and we don't come out of those in those those learning institutions and uh, with that mindset that it's supposed to be different. We adapt to that in our practice, or we we evolve to the fact that oh no, I need to take this down. I need to treat my patients differently or address them in a different way. But that's not something that's taught. And so I think that no matter the skin color, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the race, the individual has to have a philosophy of care that first begins with the person that they're caring for being at the forefront and the center of that care. Um, and then I think that if we all came to the table as black and indigenous people of color with that philosophy, then I can see where we could have that 100% standard of, mm -hmm. yes, being taken care of by people that look like you is the best way to go, right? Because no matter what, trauma is inflicted on right how many times have we experienced harsh providers that look like us mm -hmm. nasty talking all kinds of I ways feel, yep. assuming yeah. something because of somebody just by the way they look they, and they think they can get away with it because they're someone who looks like you so it's like you know the tongue they're they have a looser tongue because they're like oh you're not going to take offense because you're someone <laughs> of that same ethnic background Right. So it's the challenge. And I think that it first begins with how we approach healthcare. We really need to just change how we're, how we're, um, as providers, how we're providing services to people and as providers across the board, all ethnicities, all races, we'd really just need to revamp how we interact with humans. Um, and I think that that will begin to shift some of that. Now, of course, we can't address the personal things because at the end of the day, when a person comes before you as a doctor, midwife, whoever they are, lactation professional, they are a human being first with their own biases, understandings, experiences, and notions, right? And so those things need to be the things that need to be worked on.
Um, we really just need to uh, come at it at all angles. It's not just that that's going to fix it, but I think all angles are going to address that. Um, but at the at the very least, the the consumer could be better savvy as they are, you know, heading out to to um, access the system. Voice Messages is designed to give listeners a way to offer spoken feedback directly to me, your host. You are important to me, and your concerns and questions are too. So I want to hear from you. Click the link in the show profile and record a voice message for up to one minute. Then click send this message and your question or comment may be featured in an upcoming show. It's that simple. Are you enjoying the podcast? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. The Savvy Black Birther podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You may support the podcast directly by clicking the link at the end of the show notes. Your support helps me to keep bringing you real, relevant, and relatable content. Thank you so much for supporting this work. Now back to the show. Um, so what other ideas we talked about education, we talked about advocacy. Um, are there any other hacks that you would, you know, um, tell a person they should have under their belt? A general view of, um, learning better and doing better. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, the way that we were raised and things that we were taught and what, you know, our parents tell us is the best because that's what they did. Um, you know, I often find that families, you know, kind of sometimes they can get stuck in that wheel of, well, you know, that's just that's just what we do. Um, and that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. Um, you know, I was talking the other day with a friend and I was like, no, you 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 learn better, you know better, you do better. Um, and it doesn't have to be this, um, I'm being disrespectful of, of where I came from, but it's like, you know, you want ideally as a parent for, your your child to do better than you um you know you you start them out at a higher level the next generation you know over and above and so you know i feel like there's a way to um be respectful of where where you come from um but then also you know want want better for yourself and want to to learn more and to to do to do more in your life um and so i encourage people who you know feel like well you know, I'm just in this environment, I'm in this, you know, physical location or even, um, you know, how much money they make. It's very much like, well, you don't have to stay there. Like, what is it that you want? And then how are we going to get there? So, you know, having that plan um, and and wanting the change, I guess, is a, a big piece of that, too. Um, for me, it really helps people see that there's more to life than this is in this little box that you have put yourself in you know let's get you some good education let's show you something different um and people can be very surprised at you know what they're capable of doing um once they see that there are more options out there i feel like people get trapped in only what they know and they they think they want more but they don't necessarily know what that looks like and so they're looking for people who you know may know more than them and they want to learn so that way they can expand and they can they can do better for themselves you know people who 
you know, want to do better financially. Ideally, you'd find somebody who's already doing well and you learn from them. So that way you can learn what, what they're doing so you can be elevated too. Um, and that's whether it's healthcare, whether it's, you know, health and wellness, um, or just lifestyle modifications. I feel like a lot of people, if they get to a better headspace um, and change the way that they have been taught to think, um, a lot of times that can help them, you know, do better and to get better outcomes. I, I was thinking of like what you mentioned, Catrice, about planning, and then I was I was thinking of or planning and kind of breaking some of the habits that we have been taught. So, for instance, like again in my arena discipline you know how we discipline our children and 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 figuring out ways where you know perhaps how i was raised how i was disciplined was not necessarily the best way of being disciplined and how can i better deal with that when it's my turn or now that i am a parent like how can i deal with these behaviors how can i um, encourage my child to do better and to um advocate for themselves better also because like culturally where i'm from you know when an adult speaks to you you just you're just quiet and you listen right like you're seen but not heard so trying to like you know teaching even as young as children to learn how to speak up for themselves in a respectful manner but learning how to speak up for themselves and not being perceived as being disrespectful um and that way it translates to how they are educated, as well as how they go out and seek help when it comes to healthcare, um, you know, finding a provider, knowing where to go, and getting the assistance that they need. Absolutely. I, I What I'm hearing you guys are talking about is breaking you know, cycles within families. That's a huge thing that we could do as a hack, you know, if we want to talk about what can we do. But the other thing I, I hear when you're saying that too is the idea of communication. Um, we're just not taught to speak really well because there is this thing of silence within the black community, right? That we don't tell people our business. We don't uh, let people know that we're weak because we don't want to seem needy or seem like we're, we're less than or don't have. Um, and we basically kind of do this thing of not solving the issues, right, that we're experiencing because we sweep everything under the rug, right? There's this thing mm -hmm. that we do. And, it, and it's, it, it varies in degree depending on the ethnicity, right? So if you're in the Caribbean at, in background, you definitely keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk about our family business to nobody. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You don't. And if you, if I catch you, it's going to be me and you, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that's the same in the Southern region of the country, you know, cause yeah, I have, so. I have, I have a Southern side to me and a Caribbean side to, you know, uh, of rearing. And so that's just what happens in the black community. And, you know, I, I actually had to research that because I was very interested, you know, there's this thing called um, post-slavery silence. You know, where and I don't know if it's a coined idea or if it was just someone who kind of thought of it in, in, a, in a research paper or they, you know, documented it in, a, in um, literature. I have to go back and look at my notes, but I came across it and it was just basically identifying the idea that um, we had to keep silent so much. You know, um, those of us who were whose families were um, were present during uh, slavery. Jim Crow, all of those things, right? We don't talk about those things and how they affected us. 
um, and how they mm-hmm. continue to affect affect us in generation generations, you know, and in family structures. So it's very important that we learn how to be better communicators, and that does start from childhood. You know, how we rear our children, how we discuss things with them, how we um, help them find their voices and to use their voices, you know, and that also, like you said, Dr. Brioche, translates now from as a child to now an adult, being able to exercise your rights and use your voice, you know, in a, in a mm-hmm. way that's diplomatic and that re- requires respect, but that's not done in a disrespectful way, but lets the person know, hey, listen, I ain't fooling around with you. No, don't give me right. five pills right now. We need to talk about why I need to take, you think I need to take these five pills. Tell me what's going on. What are you seeing? What's the, what's the results? And I, you didn't give me my results. So I need to understand, you know, like this mm-hmm. is the coordination and the communication that needs to happen. And I think, um, we may not have those skills, you know, not all of us. So it's like, how do we get those skills? So that's, that's one thing that we need to look at and Perhaps it's like you said, Catrice, which is wanting to make that change, right? Mm -hmm. Identifying the need, wanting to make the change, and then figuring out how to do that, right? So I think that's a huge way that we could hack the system is learning how to break some of those generational cycles and being better advocates, being better communicators, um, educate ourselves, shop around, um, vet people, walk away if we're not satisfied, you know, make sure that you're not feeling like you're submissive in that relationship and treat it Mm -hmm. as a relationship because that's exactly what it is. You know, um, I think that people don't treat it as a relationship and that's another uh, thing that we could change. So any lasting words for our listeners? Anything you guys want to, you've already been telling us some wonderful things, but any last minute things that you want to say? Um, I think uh, when and if you can, getting a village around you um, can be um, almost a game changer. You know, I have the support there to to ask for what I need and get um, some really good help. So I feel like having a village um, can be, you know, we used to have that. You always used Mm -hmm. to have somebody that you could lean on for different things. Um, And we still need that. We very much still need that. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I feel like a lot of times, like I'll have a parent come, you know, for that first appointment with their newborn. And then we ask like family history, is there any significant family history? And they're unaware of their family history because again, going back to, you know, traditions or the way we were raised, it's like, it, it was none of their concern, you know, and then you find and then a parent or a grandparent passed away and you don't even know what from. So like these are, topics that are important to be discussed because that's how you can take control of your health. You need to be aware of your history, your med, not only, you know, like history in a sense of from a social aspect, um, but from a medical aspect as well. That's so important that you said that or um, because, you know, grandmas don't like to tell stuff. They, they keep things locked up, turn, you know, <laughs> lock the key and throw it away. And, 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 and you guys are laughing because you probably agree with me. I mean, that those generations did not do a lot of disclosing 
Um, and so how do we, you know, conversate with our, the elders of our family to get that information? I think one of the best ways that we can do that is just sitting at their feet, you know, letting them pour into us. But then once, once they start pouring in, you can start asking questions. Taking the time to have a relationship with our elders is so important. Oftentimes when mm -hmm. we get about, go about our lives, we forget about them. Um, and so sitting at their feet, learning from them, they can teach us so much, but they can also, um, in, you know, give us insight on how to navigate life as well and, and give us some of the information and history that we all need. Um, the other thing that I would like to add, we talked about, you know, accessing care from a pediatric perspective, a parent having a child, and then we talked about it from, or in the maternal perspective, a mother or a birthing person accessing healthcare during pregnancy. Um, lastly, I would like to say that, you know, we also have really low uh, breastfeeding rates in our community. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very um, disheartening uh, to me as a, a lactation consultant and also midwife. And one of the things that, you know, uh, it saddens me because we literally uh, birthed this nation, built this nation, fed this nation. We done did it all as black women. And I know that there are some families that have really, really strong lineage of breastfeeding in their families. But then there's others that don't because of the abuse that uh, was centered around breastfeeding. Um, and the exploitation of, of breastfeeding mothers back in, you know, the olden, those times in, in our history. Nonetheless, I think it's so important that if you are considering breast or chest feeding your baby, that you really look at getting the information ahead of time that you, while, while you're also investigating pediatricians and mid midwives or uh, obstetricians, that you're also investigating lactation consultants and having them in your back pocket should you need them, taking a class with them to learn about the ins and outs of human lactation, how imperative and how important it is to offer your baby that wonderful, uh, you know, nutrient. Mm -hmm. The reality is that, you know, we have... Um, so many stigmas attached to the breast or the chest of a birthing person. Um, and what we really just really need to focus on is the fact that if that's something that you want to do, you need to do it without uh, permission of others. You need to do it with your, you know, you don't need the permission of others to do that. Um, you can certainly feed your child and it's not a dirty act. It's not anything that should be considered um, sexual in any way. So I just want to encourage people to make sure that they're investing not only their time in finding other types of providers, but they're also investing in finding, um, you know, providers from a multidisciplinary approach, meaning from all aspects of care that they're, they know that they're probably going to access. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and lastly, I'll say too, I know that I spoke negatively about some of our history of breastfeeding, but let me just give you a little bit of positive too about our history of breastfeeding in America. Not only was breastfeeding exploited, um, but it was also something that people did because it was a way to, to gain access to finances for them. So I just want to point that out that, you know, there were, there were some of our grandmothers, some of our aunties, some of the people that from our past not only breastfed um, their children, but they breastfed other children for income. Um, now, whether they did it for a reason of, um, of need or whether they wanted to, we'll probably never know. But the reality is, it's that it was also something that was a paid compensation. Um, and it's something that I think in that regard, because now we have this thing called, you know, milk banks, right? 
-hmm. that regard, that's something that I think we should probably be some, somewhat proud of, um, that we have that ability. I just found out not too long ago that my grandmother was a wet nurse and she fed literally um, children in Bennettsville, South Carolina at local hospitals. And they literally called her when preemies were born, when children um, that were sickly were born, when mothers weren't able to make milk, they would call her to the hospital and she got compensated for it. Just found that out. Not, not once did I know that she was you know, doing that. So it's just interesting if we really ask the questions, we'll find out more about our family that it can build pride and, and a source mm -hmm. of, you know, um, comfort when we know that our families have what they've been through, what they can't, what they have done. So because you're seeing a lot of preeclampsia in your mm -hmm. um, work environment, especially with your clients, what are some of the hacks or some of the things that you uh, really tell individuals to mm -hmm. safeguard themselves or pre be preventative in, in their practice uh, during their pregnancy? So if it's coming from, I have like two hats on, if it's because I also um, help train residents, PAs, midwives, and NPs. So from the patient perspective, it's always um, I want you to listen to the slightest changes in your body because it's never going to just be all of a sudden I passed out or something like that or I had a seizure. You're the boss. You know, it's just like a job. Um, mm -hmm. You have the right to fire us. You know, you, you would give me the pink slip if I wasn't doing something. So it's not because there's a degree behind our name that that all of a sudden changes we work for you it's not the other way around it also and just to add it also is a relearning of the prenatal care model right mm -hmm. so it's not just okay you're 16 weeks here's what we're doing today so the first thing i do is like i introduce myself blah 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 but talk about covid blah 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 pandemic and then i'm like what brings you in today what are your concerns because I'm going to go through that little spiel I have and offer you the test and da 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 da. But if the patient doesn't realize they're front and center, they may wait till the end and maybe by then they don't feel comfortable to ask the things they had to, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's what are your concerns? Because this is your visit. I find that when it comes down to advocacy and self-determination, people struggle with what that looks like and what that really means. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it first starts with the education and the knowledge and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and being able to, to know what you want, be able to articulate your problems and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so it sounds like you're talking more of a partnership as opposed to a hierarchy or a dictatorship of, you know, I know more than you. Uh, um, you know, and patients should also feel the ability to um, be. Um... First, it's respect. I just, it sounds really simple, but I just feel like people do not respect patients. It's like those people. Um, but I feel like one is definitely respect. Um, so obviously we, we know that disparities are evident. We know that, you know, these things are happening for birthing families. And I'm sure you see that, you know, repeatedly in your, in your professional work. 
but what do you believe might be the solution to creating equity um, within healthcare and changing the outcome for birthing people and their families? I'm like, throw the system away. Um, <laughs> it's like, first answer. <laughs> um, the head of their health care, mm-hmm. you know, the head of in charge of their health care. So, yeah. Um, and then support. Because, again, I think it comes down to that respect. Like, it's so... I've just heard people say the rudest things about patients and their lives. And we expect patients to fit into this, like, you know, cookie cutter factory prenatal care model. But when they are having problems, when they're having hardships, uh, we aren't there to support them. Um, We aren't there to provide them with the tools. You know, I don't know how many times I've gone to someone about maybe a social issue that is impacting prenatal care and this Mm -hmm. patient, they're like, well, that's not really your job. Like, you know, just send them to the therapist or a social worker. And I'm like, that is my job. This is the whole thing. And, you know, I've had to fight with midwives about that. They're, you know, they're like, well, you care a lot. And I'm like, no, (laughs) like what, you know, no. You know, so then you're looking for community resources or I just think that there is uh, this true lack of respect and empathy for birthing people. I think it's like, eh, you know, which is why, especially in this area, I have, um, you know, there are, I'm not going to say the company's names and stuff like that, but because my patients are work in those factories. I now don't buy those products. Like my patients need notes to use the bathroom. And mm -hmm, we have to write notes so they could get offline to use the bathroom more than they would as they get pregnant. You know, so I just think it's this, this, we just do not respect, you know, black and brown birthing bodies. It's like, mm, that's not what you're here for. You're here to, you know, make us money um work as much as you can and that's it you have a problem it's on you that you're not protected so Mm -hmm. i think it's that understanding and then because no matter where you go i mean you could go to a birth center and be around woke people and there are still transgressions done to birthing bodies so i don't think absolutely necessarily oh i got a home birth oh i got a birth Mm -hmm. center birth it's like there's some crazy stuff out there too so i'm like i think it's the entire system you know Mm -hmm. i agree with that well i'm hopeful you know that you know by the work that we're all doing individually and then the work that's happening at the community levels you know Mm -hmm. will help to inspire change we have an um a bill on the table as well an act on the table that's gonna look at you know advancing health for for birthing people so Mm -hmm. hopefully things will start to shift so Mm -hmm. what last minute you know um advice would you give an individual who is coming into a hospital-based system a clinic style you know uh, system what advice would you give them to begin to safeguard and to you know be aware 
as they're accessing healthcare from a perinatal perspective? Go on the website. You want to know all the providers that are there and you want to know how it works. So, hey, if I'm low risk, do I still have to see the doctors? Am I shuffled around? Um, is there really a midwifery service or is it just providers? But I would say go on the website, um, read the reviews, read the Google reviews, read the other reviews, the same research that you know we may put into a hairstyle or doing our eyebrows is the same kind of you know energy that needs to go in searching for a provider and making sure they're the right fit um sometimes i don't like to look at the five star reviews i look at the ones I yes the ones and the twos because i want to know what it's about um because that kind of gives me a range and then the fives i want to know why they're getting fives um that's just you know my opinion mm -hmm. um so that is one thing I do. And then you are shopping around. Like I remember I heard a nurse say, they, you know, patients can't shop around for a provider. I was like, that's not true. They're like, no, they're double dipping. They were seeing your practice and another practice. I was like, no, no, no. Um, most of the time we say, you know, you can't do that, <laughs> you know, at the time of the delivery or something like that, having three mm -hmm. practices, you know what I mean? But truly... You know that's on you there's a reason you're doing that you know so if you're the first trimester I would say shop around <laughs> shop around and if you just realized you were pregnant maybe a little later shop around as much as you can until you're comfortable you know mm -hmm. uh, because this is a decision that can impact whether you have a c-section that can impact when you know practice might be pushing induction on you and um yeah that makes sense but, and then interview us you know because the patients that come with their little notebooks i'm like oh they ready <laughs> you know i'm like this okay i stretch today i'm ready too for this interview you know but right i, I love it like you're the boss I mean, truly, you are the boss. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of The Savvy Black Birther. Make sure to visit my website, Sakina Health, where you can find evidence-based information, resources, and more. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sakina underscore health. That's S-A-K-I-N-A. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd appreciate a rating or review. And don't forget to tell that good friend so that this content can reach many more Black birthing families. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in for the next episode. Be informed, be equipped, and be savvy Black birthers.